I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 8. So we're back where we belong in the Gospel of Matthew. Last week we skipped ahead of ourselves to the end of chapter 9, but this week we're right back where we belong, right at the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. For three power-packed chapters, Jesus has taught with unparalleled authority. He has taught about that inside-out, upside-down kingdom of heaven of which He is the coming King. He's invited us to join that kingdom and follow Him. To repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. To seek first, before anything else, His kingdom and His righteousness. And to build our lives on His authoritative teaching. So that when the storms come, our lives do not crash but stand firm. So now we find out what happens next. What happens when Jesus comes down from the mountainside? Here's what happens. Jesus shows that he is the king. If Jesus has been showing that he is the Messiah who was to come through his words in chapters 5, 6, and 7, now in chapters 8 and 9, he shows that he is the Messiah who was to come through his deeds. There are many, many miracles here in chapters 8 and 9. Healings, lots of healings. Exorcisms, control of nature, even a resurrection of a dead girl. All of these miracles, these demonstrations of Jesus' power point to his identity. They reveal who Jesus really is. And sprinkled throughout all of these powerful stories are powerful calls to discipleship. We'll see that strongly next week. Jesus doesn't just heal people. He calls people to follow him because of who he really is. He calls people to trust him because of who he really is and to come behind him, to to follow, to be disciples. This week, because we don't have much time, We're just going to look briefly at the first three of those short stories. They are all healing stories, healing miracles that Jesus did after he came down from the mountainside. They might not be in chronological order. Mark and Luke put them in a different order in their Gospels. The chronological order wasn't as important to Matthew as the theological message was to him. Matthew is committed to revealing Jesus, to revealing who Jesus really is. And we get that through not only hearing what he taught, but seeing what he did when he came down from the mountainside. Let's read just the first one and then pray together. Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. When he came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately, he was cured of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, See that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. It's a sure and certain thing in a world where there aren't very many sure and certain things. This is trustworthy and true. Help us to understand it. To open our eyes, Lord, to see wonderful things in your word. Open our hearts to receive them. 
We don't just want to see the Lord. We want to take in this word. Your words came and I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight. For I bear your name, O Lord God Almighty. Lord, help us to ingest this word so it becomes a part of us and changes who we are. Because we've read it, because we believe it, because we're now going to live it. Would you do that, Lord? We're listening. In the name of Jesus. Amen. You'll notice that all three of these stories show Jesus' concern for and care for and love for outsiders. For what Bill Hamill, our recently departed beloved president, used to call the last, the least, and the lost. We saw that last week at the end of this section, at the end of chapter 9. Jesus always had an eye out for the harassed and the helpless. The sheep, what? The sheep without a shepherd, right? Right. The sheep who have no voice, right? The outcast. The outsider. The, the, the orphans. The marginalized. Nobody was more outcast or outsider in Jesus' day than a leper. If you had one of these infectious skin diseases that fell under this general category of leprosy, whether it was Hansen's disease or not, where the, the, the body parts fall off, you were an outcast. You were lonely, you were ostracized, you were alone. Nobody touched you. Can you imagine going through a day where nobody touched you at all period nothing no hugs no handshakes let alone a kiss you had to live outside of camp outside of town if you were a leper and if anybody came near to you there was something you had to yell out you know what it was unclean unclean because the law said you weren't just sick, you were ritually unclean. You were defiled. And if you touched others, you would defile them. They would become unclean. Not the worst thing that would ever happen. There's a process for cleansing. And yet nobody wanted to do that. Can you imagine what that felt like? Some of you can. Some of you carry around so much shame, you feel like this all the time. You feel alone, you feel dirty, you feel untouchable, you feel unlovable. Well, this is what happened when Jesus came down from the mountainside. He brought total cleansing. Total cleansing. Look at verse 1 again. When he came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. He was a rock star. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him. He approaches him. On the way in, he probably said, unclean, unclean. Every second that he gets closer, he sees if he's going to get turned away. Unclean, unclean. And he kneels down before him. And he says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. That's interesting, isn't it? He kneels before the teacher and he calls him Lord. Now that's a term of respect like a very strong sir. But it was also the term used to refer to God in the Old Testament. Does this leper guy know who Jesus really is? 
He seems to. It almost seems to. He seems to worship him. He, he's kneeling before him. At least he trusts him completely. Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Notice he doesn't say, Lord, if you can, please heal me. He says, you can if you will. Friends, that's faith. That's what faith says. And then Jesus does the most amazing thing. The last thing you might expect this Jewish man named Jesus to do. What's he do? He touches the leper. I know we've read this before. You see this before. But this is crazy. This is amazing. Verse 3. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. And immediately he was cured of his leprosy. Isn't that amazing? You know what I'm amazed by the most of all that? That Jesus didn't become unclean. See, the man became clean. That doesn't happen. The opposite of how it was supposed to work. See, if you touched a leper, you became unclean. Right? In the Old Testament system. But Jesus touches the leper, and the leper becomes clean. Totally clean. Totally, you can take it to the bank clean. That's the point of verse 4. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone. I'm not looking for publicity here. You see the crowds? i got enough of them. But go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. He's saying, this is the real deal. You feel better? That's because you are better. Leviticus 13 and Leviticus 14 give Moses' instructions for what to do when you think you've been healed of your leprosy, which doesn't happen every day. I think there's three healings of leprosy in the entire Old Testament. Now, some of them would have just been healed naturally or by God's grace. But of the stories of the miraculous cleansing of leprosy, I think there's three. And this guy gets to live out Leviticus 13 and 14. He gets to go to the priest and show him, okay, check me out. And they say, yep, 100%. Total cleansing. You know what this means? For this guy, it means he can enter into society again. He can work. He's no longer an outcast. He won't be an outsider anymore. He can be touched. He can be included. He can be embraced because he's clean. Why? All because of Jesus. Can you imagine what that would be like? You know, leprosy in the Old Testament was a picture or a symbol of sin. It wasn't sin itself. It's just, it was just a disease. But uncleanness was not so uncleanness was not sinfulness, but it was a visual parable of sinfulness and how sinfulness is sickness and defiling and affects others. So when there's healing like this and cleansing like this, it's a picture of salvation. So if you're cleansed by Jesus of your sins, you're brought into fellowship, not just with God, but with others. This total cleansing is a picture of the total cleansing we can have when we come to Jesus by faith and all the blessings that come with it. If you're in Christ, you're clean. Totally clean. And that means you're accepted. That means you're included. Now in the second story here, there's another kind of outcast. This time it's a Gentile, a Roman centurion, which is a military leader over how many people? Sent a hundred, right? 
Now, he might have been in charge of his whole regiment, but he was a long way from home. Italy's a long way off. And the Israelites were not happy to have him around. As a Gentile, he was an outsider, a way outsider. Okay? But this man, like the first man, also had faith. Look at verse 5. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. He probably wasn't used to begging. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished. And said to those following him, I tell you the truth. I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it will be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, he brought total authority. Total authority. You see, this guy knew all about authority, right? He was a military man. He was a, a part of a great chain of command that stretched from him all the way up to Caesar. So that when he told his men to jump, they asked how high on the way up, right? Because it was like Caesar was asking them to. I tell this one, go, and he goes. He said, come, and, then, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And what's amazing is that this centurion thinks that Jesus has that kind of authority over illness over paralysis, over sickness, over suffering. He says, just say the word, Jesus. Just say the word. Now, the most astonishing thing to me in this story is that Jesus is astonished. Right? You ever think about Jesus going, whoa, didn't see that one coming. Right? That's what it says here. This kind of faith is astounding to Jesus. If you wanted to surprise Jesus when he was here back in the day, trust him fully. Give him your unlimited confidence. Especially if you don't know that much about him. I mean, this guy was a Gentile. He didn't have the Old Testament. He hasn't been expecting a Messiah for thousands of years. Jesus says, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. That's a sick burn if I've ever heard one. Right? This guy gets it, he's saying. Where are you guys? This guy, he's a Gentile, and he has total faith in my total authority. Do you? See, that was the question he was asking at the Sermon on the Mount, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, wasn't it? Are you going to enter through the narrow gate? Are you going to do the will of my Father who's in heaven? Are you going to build your life on my authoritative teaching? Or are you going to go your own way on the broad road? Are you going to say, Lord, Lord, but not actually follow me? Are you going to build your life on the sand? Jesus says, I, w- I want more people like this guy 
who trust me completely. Then he says there's more on the way. Look at verse 11 again. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west. Gentiles, like this centurion. And they will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the upside-down, inside-out kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom, the ones who should know better, the ones I gave all those promises to, will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Why? Because they didn't accept their Messiah. Because they didn't receive Him. Because they didn't trust Him. They they didn't entrust themselves to Him. They didn't build their lives on the solid rock. The people rejected Jesus. The, The people who don't have faith, they will have agony and sorrow and anguish and eternal despair. That's weeping and gnashing of teeth. But Jesus says it doesn't have to be that way. Even for Gentiles. Jesus invites us to trust Him like the centurion did. Total faith in His total authority. He says you don't have to be Jewish. You could be a Gentile from Pennsylvania. You could be a Panamanian. That's so cool that they are called Panamanians. That's that's a fun word. You You can live in Panama. You can live in Pennsylvania. And if you put your total faith in His total authority you will have a place at the table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the upside-down, inside-out kingdom of heaven. And then just to prove it, Jesus said, okay, done. He didn't go to that guy's house. He didn't didn't reach out and touch the paralyzed servant. He just said, just like he said, it's over. Go, it'll be done just as you believed it would because I have total authority and his servant was healed at that very hour. The last of these three stories shows just how total that cleansing and that authority really were and where they came from. Look at verse 14. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. Did you know Peter was married? A lot of people don't realize that Peter was a married man. How'd you like to be Peter's wife? Huh? Apparently, they had a house in Capernaum, and his mother-in-law lived with him. By the way, this is another kind of outcast. I don't mean mother-in-laws. I mean women in general. In that society, at that time in history, women didn't have much status or social standing. I'm thinking mother-in-law lives at home because father-in-law is no longer in the picture. Women weren't lepers, they weren't Gentiles, but they weren't respected all the time either. In some situations, they were treated worse. But Jesus lifts up women. Jesus sees women. He respects them. He always improves their lives. And here he heals one. She has a raging fever, maybe malaria, And again, he touches her. Look at verse 15. He touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she got up and began to wait on him. Now the point of that is not that he was worthy of her service. True as that is. The point of that is that she was healed so completely, she felt like making dinner. 
It wasn't like, okay, well, you were just sick, and so you should take it easy. She's like, no, no, no. Whoa, I'm going to go make something, and let's set the table, and let's have dinner. I'm, I'm on this. I just feel wonderful. That's complete healing. And Jesus is doing it left and right at this moment. Look at verse 16. When evening came, same day, she's feeding everybody. Many who were demon-possessed were brought to him. And he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all of the sick. Everybody that was sick that was brought to him were healed. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, number three, he brought total salvation. Total salvation. You see, no disease was too much for him. There was no, like, you bring somebody to the doctor and they don't know what to do. None of that. No, no disease stood any chance against him. And you see all the authority he had? He did it with a word. There's no question about who Jesus is. Jesus is the Messiah who was to come. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the King of the Kingdom of Heaven. And Matthew says Jesus is the suffering servant promised in Isaiah 53. All this healing, it was a foretaste of the Kingdom to come. When all the evil spirits will be gone, where every disease is gone, where every sorrow is gone, where every tear is wiped away, when there's no more pain, no more sickness, no more death, no more orphans, total salvation of the whole world. See, that's what this was a little foretaste of. And that, that little house in Capernaum was a little foretaste of the kingdom. King Jesus was bringing the kingdom, which is total salvation. Body, soul, and world, all made new and right again. But we know what it's going to take to get there, right? Jesus knew what it was going to take to get there. He's handing out little pieces of it to Capernaum that day. But it's all predicated on something that's still to come. Matthew knew what it was going to take to get there. That's why he brings in Isaiah 53. He says this was to fulfill, there's Matthew's favorite word, fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah 53, verse 4. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. When Jesus came down from the mountainside and then went up on the mountain of crucifixion, Matthew quoted Isaiah 53, 4. He knew what comes next in verse 5 and 6. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way, and the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. You see, to bring that total salvation, Jesus had to go to the cross. Have you come to trust in Jesus for your total salvation? All the cleansing you need so that you're accepted, so that you're clean, 
all the blessings that come with that cleansing. If you haven't, I invite you to totally trust him now. And if you have, I invite you to totally thank him now. What he did for us. He didn't have to take up our infirmities. He didn't have to carry our diseases. He didn't deserve what happened to him. He, he didn't have to get punctured for our transgressions. And yet he did. And all he's asking from us is total trust and to follow him with all of our lives. That's not too much to ask. That's nothing. He gave his all for us. Let's give him all of us for him. Let's pray together. Lord, I imagine that different people here might have needed a different one of those three things we focused on. We all need total salvation. We need to be saved from our sins through Jesus and Him alone. Not through being good people or doing good works or, or our parents' faith like Sarah was talking about before. We can't rest on anybody's faith. We have to trust in Jesus ourselves. I pray for anybody here who has not yet trusted in Jesus as their Savior, their Lord, that they would put their total faith in Him right now. All in. Would you do that in somebody's heart right now, Lord? Awaken them to the glories of what Jesus has done for us when He was pierced for our transgressions, when the iniquity of us all was laid on Him. I pray, Father, that somebody would right now repent and put their faith in Jesus alone. Thank you for what Jesus did. Because what Jesus did means everything to us. Complete healing. If not in this life, in the next one where we get a resurrected body that is raised immortal, never dying, in a new world that is all that everything was supposed to be, and better, redeemed, and total cleansing. So our sin is gone, and we are included, accepted, beloved, in Jesus. Thank you for this great work. We believe you have all authority in heaven and earth. It's been given to you. So we want to trust you and look forward to our place at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom. We don't deserve to be there. That's the whole point. We don't deserve to be there. But because of Jesus, we can be. Thank you. If we only trust him. We pray this in his powerful, glorious name.